Welcome to the Tech.eu podcast, where we discuss some of the most interesting stories in European tech today. Let's do this. Hello, hello. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on when you're tuning into this interview. Uh, my name is Robin Waters from Tech.eu, and I'm joined today uh, remotely, of course, unfortunately, uh, by Raf Kwan and Jamie Moore from Auric. Raf, Jamie, thank you so much for taking the time. Pleasure. Thanks for having us. What is Auric in a nutshell? Aha. Uh-huh. Jimmy, go ahead. You want me to say that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so we are a global law firm originally headquartered in the US. Um, Raph and I spend most of our time out of the London office. And essentially, you know, the main focus for us is representing both investors and companies at every stage of the investment lifecycle. That's us in a nutshell. That is in a nutshell. Thank you for keeping it, <laughs> keeping it brief, uh, but clear. Um, so originally started in the US and, uh, you know, representing investors and scale-ups, uh, which sounds a lot like a, a certain entity called Silicon Valley Bank. Uh, we're recording this on Friday, 10th of March, by the way. I'm assuming that you've been watching the news as well. We, we have. have. Yeah. Do you have uh, any comment I- on what's happening with SVB at all? I think I'm going to hold on commenting on that one until we see how that develops over the next, uh, well, 12 hours, realistically, right? It's a fast, fast-paced fast moving topic, so probably save comment on that one. Yeah, that's uh, fair enough, but I can't not bring it up on a day like today, which I think is going to be remembered for a very long time in the industry. Uh, but moving on to the fun stuff, you guys have put out a report and I don't want to steal your thunder, so maybe Raf or Jamie can sort of highlight what is this report, uh, how did it come about, what is it about, and why should we be paying attention to it? Absolutely. Yeah. I'll jump in on that. Uh, Raf, uh, jump in if you disagree. But uh, essentially, about seven years ago, uh, because I really need to increase my number of hobbies i thought that it would be really cool to actually aggregate all of the data that we have across the hundreds of transactions that we do so here at auric we do almost two times more uh, venture deals than any of our nearest competitors and you know that's a huge data set and i think we were constantly being you know approached on negotiations with you know this is market this is market and a lot of our clients, whether they were founders or investors, didn't really know what market was, right? So the main origination of this report was, well, okay, if we're doing more deals than anyone else, we've, we're best placed to actually opine on this stuff. And so what started off as a very, very basic, but now quite huge spreadsheet that I still maintain today um, has been replaced with some technology and processes that we've all developed in-house to kind of aggregate our deal data right from the term sheet stage and also the documents that that follow. And then we just like to give that back to the community every year as a nice unique insight into actually what is going on on these transactions. And then hopefully coupled with my interactions with the BBCA drafting committee, we not only help interpret what the market is, but we help shape what the market is. So the main hotspot or the main focus is helping investors and companies just close financing rounds as quickly and efficiently as possible that's the dream fantastic and, summary and uh, uh i'm gonna say thank you for not having any other hobbies because it's uh, it's also good for us <laughs> to have that kind of data available to a rough did you have anything to add 
Yeah, just so, I mean, echoing one of the things that for us is extremely important at Oric is we are a company first legal firm and we love to work with entrepreneurs and founders of every stage. And this kind of report is really, as, as Jamie mentioned, to give back to the community because it's the unique view and one of the only, you know, view on those terms that, you know, every, you know, founders will be facing really. And so I think it's an important um, point in time to look into it, particularly has, as we all know, in this particular podcast, the market, tech market evolved so quickly that those terms, you know, are critical to be able to get that legacy over the long term. So it's important for us to have a view, as, you know, Jamie mentioned, because we've run through more than 500 deals this year on this. It's a pretty good overview of the market and gives us a great indication of where this is going and where we're standing as is it today. So yeah, it's, it's a great report and, and we're very happy to be able to share it with a uh, with the world, I guess. Great. Well, thanks for that. And you guys have also been quite instrumental in the, the State of European Tech Report that comes out every year, uh, you know, spearheaded by uh, by Atomico, of course. But uh, you guys have been part of that as well. So thank you for all the work that you're doing in that regard. Thank you. And on, on, a, on a side note there, Robin, just to come back to what we were saying before, you know, the State of European Tech is also done in collaboration with SVB, as you know. So and not that we want to do any comments, but I just want to highlight the fact that we're close to the firm. They're, they're close collaborators of ours. And so we, we're, you know, we, we're watching the space and we'll see what happens later on. But yeah, this yep, is you're it's, not gonna a, be it's a tough day for a lot of people. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's going to have uh, wide and deep repercussions, but we'll have to wait and see what those are. Um, okay, yeah. let's uh, move to the report, the actual report. Uh, maybe before we dive into the findings, Jamie, you mentioned and the report also mentioned that this year or for this edition, You've been using new technologies and processes to actually get it done. Uh, what, what does that mean? Yeah, so um, I'm really proud of the fact that Oric actually has its own innovation lab here. You know, we have uh, folks in the US who are happy to listen to me because, um, uh, you know, fundamentally before I was a lawyer, I was a massive uh, techie myself uh, <laughs> and used to code and, 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 and get involved in that software side of things. So we actually have a in-house team based in the States who kind of helped us create uh, different softwares to actually analyze term sheets as well as, uh, you know, not just Excel, right? This is this is data collation, but it's more sophisticated. So we actually have processes, questionnaires, and some pretty cool tech that, uh, you know, helps us streamline that process. And so this year, unlike previous years, you know, this is the third iteration of DealFlow, we've been able to use the, that technology to kind of delve deeper into the term sheets in a more, more efficient way. So it's not like there's an army of 50 people typing this into a document. It's actually technology driven, uh, technology led, and it's helping us, you know, review documents and review term sheets to then help uh, with the analysis and collation of this data, which is really nice. Wait. Which, when you think about it, for the very first European technology law firm, makes sense to use technology. <laughs> so that's yeah. exactly why we did it. <laughs> it does make sense, but it's uh, it's really good to know and helpful before we dive into the actual findings, uh, which we're going to do yeah. now. So what's the deal with DealFlow? Um, I, I'm going to be honest, because we're recording this quite... Uh, you know, soon after the report's release. So I haven't been able to dive into the report in great detail, uh, but you very helpfully provide sort of the five uh, main things or the main takeaways that you've uh, learned about European tech deal terms uh, last year. Uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go one by one, uh, read the headline, and then you could sort of dive in, uh, in more detail about yeah. each and every one of those uh, and explain a little bit more. So we're going to start with the first one. 
market instability has led to a shift towards more investor-friendly terms, which I think is a, a nice way of saying less founder-friendly terms, um, uh, including uh, things like uh, only 47% of equity financing, including a, a top-up to the option pool, that sort of thing. Uh, but I'm sure you can explain in a lot more detail how and why have the terms gotten less founder-friendly. Yeah, absolutely. I think the biggest takeaway, uh, slightly contrary to the the kind of headline here, but is like this report is definitely not doom and gloom. It's still a great ecosystem. There is still fantastic money for fantastic companies, but it, naturally we're seeing a rebalancing right of power. So uh, 2021 was the year where we had lots of founder protections that started early and lasted later into the financing cycle through founder vetoes and other bits and pieces. But quite naturally, you know, anyone who's been reading the news over the last year <laughs> has seen the various economic uh, inputs and changes, uh, which have quite naturally led to just a, a slightly increased degree of sensitivity on the investment side. And I'd say that's not a complete rebalance. It's just a slightly uh, delicate, but perhaps needed shift towards uh, more sustainable and, and thoughtful investing. So as a result, yeah, a few things that we've seen, you know, the first point is that I think as an industry, we've we've agreed that the need for founders to be personally liable for warranties has, has and should hopefully fall away. Um, you know, the idea is that portfolio companies aren't being sued by their investors and the warranty process is more about information flow as opposed to risk appetite. And so as a market, we have started to shift away from founder warranties more towards company warranties. That's certainly confirmed in the latest standard form documents. However, last year, I suppose, uh, partly due to you know, market uh, sensitivities, we've seen a, a slight rejection of that po position in the sense that founders are still being requested to stand behind some of these warranties. I think the nature and scope of those warranties will change. And so that position will probably change this year and go back to the norm of the company uh, company focused only warranties. Um, we've seen lots of focus and um, attention to the cap table. So quite naturally, you know, last year was the year when people were very careful with valuations and when they did raise, they had to raise smart. And so as a result, only 47% of the deals that we saw uh, included some form of top up to the option pool. You know, normally we'd quite see that a lot more regularly. Uh, I think the knock on effect of companies being slightly more cautious when it comes to hiring, but also investors and existing shareholders being more reluctant to suffer dilution. That's a natural byproduct to see a, a, a reduced amount of top ups. Um, and then the third bullet there in, in our summary is already mentioned in the previous bit, you know, in 2021, we um, were able to, even at the seed stage, create uh, founder structures that would give founders a greater degree of control later on to, into the business. You know, quite naturally, I think we're seeing in the news, you know, the question of whether or not the it's right that a founder remains the CEO in a company long term. So, you know, naturally, there's a shift on whether or not it makes sense for founder veto matters to remain forever. Um, Sometimes that's good. Sometimes uh, <laughs> sometimes it's actually useful to have some founder veto matters. So I'd say they're not they're not gone. I'm doing a deal right now that includes a whole raft of them, but uh, they just need to be more justified and thought out. Yeah, makes sense. I'm going to stay on the topic a little bit more because I'm wondering 
in your view, when will we see a shift back to normal? And when I say normal, I don't mean 2021. I'm, I'm rather talking a bit more like mm. the way it was like in 2018 to 2020, I would say. Yeah, the, the, the big question of what is normal. <laughs> I think, you know, the first half of this year has been quite interesting to see, you know, um, let's say this first quarter is probably a slight reduction in the in the number of deals that are being done. Um, transaction value drops, as we've mentioned in the report. I'd say probably the second half of this year is where we start to see the pickup. Um, if we think that, I think we mentioned it in our report as well. That, you know, the venture debt market had a 405% increase just in December alone before before this year started. So, um, you know, runway is already pitched, and investment activity is therefore going to be a bit slower right now. But um, yeah, I'd say meaningful movements towards the second half of this year. Yep. Well, let's uh, unpack this uh, deal size thing a little bit more, uh, because as Raf mentioned, uh, you, you've analyzed over 500 deals uh, in total. I think about 12 billion, more than 12 billion dollars worth. Uh, so that's that gives you quite a lot of uh, information to work with. Uh, and the general gist of it is that the average deal size has dropped, um, of course, because of all the late stage funding is also, you know, uh, vanishing. Uh, I would use the word vanishing, uh, while the deal vol volume actually remains uh, relatively high. Uh, so. How, how do you can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, that twelve billion from from our roughly equates to over twenty five percent of the capital raised in each of our core European markets, whether it's France, Germany, Italy, the UK, etc. Um, so, a really good foothold in each of those markets. Um, I think, as as Raf mentioned at the beginning, you know, we traditionally have a larger exposure on our company side mandates um, and we've obviously seen a very slight drop on the investor side mandates this this year just gone that's partly due to companies looking at more innovative manners of, of raising finance in these times so you know they're not typically needing to go to external investors therefore uh, the investor mandates come down therefore the increase in ASAs and safes go up right and so naturally these kind of bridging instruments are of smaller valuation, um, but there's a, a large number more of them, right? And so you couple that with um, companies looking at innovative kind of rolling closing mechanics and things like this, the number of deals just goes up and you know, the, the average changes as a result, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. Raf, did you have anything to add? I think no. I mean, there's no need for me to comment more than this the, on the technical side. You know, Jamie will have the the better take on this, but I, I would say just generally the market is is seeing you know uh, as we said not a, a crash but a correction in a way of things are being done and and it's it's natural to see the terms being you know reflecting that in a way. So the size you know of the deals are you know uh, smaller. We see the number of deals reducing. We've seen the debt equity in the same fashion growing next to the equity side. So all of that seems to be quite natural. And that's why we wanted to analyze it uh, at this particular time, um, yeah. you know, of, of the development of the product of the of the market. I'm eager as much as you are to see what's happening in the next six to eight months. Uh, I don't have a crystal ball with me, unfortunately. <laughs> so we'll, and, you know, and, and even even the even beyond that, I would say, because, uh, you know, it's going to yes. take a while to recover because the correction, like uh, most of us saw it coming, but it happened very abruptly and very significantly, I think, to uh, to much faster and much more significant than we all 
uh, could have anticipated. Right? Mm -hmm. So, um, okay, I want to get to the third point a little bit because you mentioned venture depth a few times. We track all the deals in Europe, of course, every week, so we know we we see that as well. You know, debt transactions are rising, uh, both in volume, in size, the value, uh, mm. also geographically spread. There, it's everywhere now. So mm. that brings a, a new level of competition between lenders. Um, what I'm wondering about is, is, is that going to be a long-term change, or is it just because the market dictates the fact that, you know, equity finance is, is harder to get, so you look for alternatives? Yeah, a really interesting question. And I think... Um... You know, when we came out of the era of the future funds um, and have seen how that has interacted with the debt market, you know, it's quite interesting to see that whilst there's an uptick in the number of venture debt deals, the terms uh, under those providers are still, you know, increasingly, you know, in some cases, quite expensive for companies. Um, future fund transactions kind of set a very high benchmark in terms of discount to future round prices and things like this. And, you know, we've, we've analyzed in our report, you know, how many of those companies have then subsequently been able to go on and raise at a, um, you know, attractive rate. Um, I'd say what's interesting and shouldn't be forgotten is the increase on the venture debt stuff is, is definitely noted um, through a, a large number of lenders and increasing protections on their side that, you know, mirror more equity terms than one might normally traditionally expect. Um, but there's still a, a huge uh, utility and need for, for you know, the ASA, as we call it in the UK, um, or the SAFE in the US. And so, you know, we've even adapted here at Oric our own UK equivalent of the US SAFE, and uh, that translates really nicely. So, um when we speak about venture debt financings within the report, there is definitely a big crossover within other forms of convertible instruments, whether it's an ASA or a SAFE as well. Um, I think they're definitely here to say, you know, realistically for companies, certainly at the seed stage and the growth of the seed market is still, is still huge. You know, we're seeing lots of earlier stage in investments. Um, you know, they can be a really efficient way of raising that first one to two million instead of spending a lot of time and legal fees on on long form documents. Yeah, absolutely. I'm part of an angel investment uh, collective here in Belgium, and we just uh, introduced a, a convertible notes template based on the US safe as well, which Belgium didn't even have before. So and that's also <laughs> driven by demand. You could tell that, you know, startups are yeah. really eager on an early stage to really have that kind of uh, option, you know? Yeah, absolutely. All right, so then we move to the, the fourth main takeaway, which is uh, about the sector and uh, specifically about fintech, uh, which according to the report took the brunt of rising inflation and reduced investment budget, but also continues to be the top sector for investment activity uh, in the analysis. Yeah, so I mean, we, we had a huge crop of late stage fintech deals, obviously, in 2021. Um, this year, perhaps to a letter, lesser extent, um, you know, we still see some really high growth on SaaS and platform-based um, based market shares. Um, FinTech still remains predominant, of course, but uh, quite interesting to see later in our report, um, you know, actually, you know, uptick on some blockchain uh, companies as well. And of course, um, the 
broadly defined sort of health focused companies, um, especially in the kind of macro, uh, larger economic environment that we find ourselves in, whether it's, uh, you know, mental health or otherwise has definitely seen a huge increase. So, um, and and I would add two things of this. Uh, first, the Web3 element to it, which is not going anywhere, and it's only increasing right now. Linked to fintech to some extent through the transaction that we get, but also, you know, to the metaverse element. So all of those transactions we've seen increasingly, you know, popular uh, and and also taking on some regulation on some regulation um, sort of framework slash issues. So we have also a lot to do with that. And the second element I had to this is, of course, uh, the the fact that healthcare on the post COVID time, you know, is is increasingly important for people that are a lot more self aware of things that they might not have considered before. So not only mental health but also health in general. And the third thing is, you know, we've seen an uptick on on many different sort of uh, new technologies that are touching uh, biotech in general. And so it's these days, you know, the capital invested in biotech is increasingly high. And higher than we've ever seen in the past. It might not be as well reflecting this report because we, you know, it's it's a burgeoning area and it's actually small compared to the rest of the other segments. But it's something that we also experience in the market for sure. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure we'll see more data on that in the next uh, edition of the report. Uh, Correct. For that matter. Absolutely. So, so we're talking about sectors. Uh, one other one that was highlighted in your analysis was software as a service, or or as you describe it, SaaS and platforms. Uh, which, according to you, saw the large, largest growth in deal volume, uh, 1.5 mm-hmm. increase, mm-hmm. Uh, while the investments into uh, the category retail and marketplaces fell by an astonishing, I think, 65% last year after mm-hmm. the, ma- the major boom in the second year of Corona. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's quite interesting how we're characterizing some of these companies as the sectors they kind of pivot within change as well but um yeah there's probably a crossover yeah. there as well right there is <laughs> yeah exactly exactly platform and marketplaces how do you define the difference right there's a lot there <laughs> yeah <laughs> trust me i've been managing a database for the last 10 years so i, I feel you the know. pain <laughs> not always easy uh but great so those were the five main findings of course there's a lot more in the report we're going to link to it in the show notes of course and you also speak a little bit about broad broader market trends um can you sort of summarize the summary there absolutely I think we, we we spoke a little bit about this earlier, right? The the geogra- geopolitical and macroeconomic context, you know, of twenty twenty one and twenty two, uh, you know, we could see that this the funding slowing down. We saw, you know, some of the debt market grew. We mentioned that um, uh, clearly valuation was clearly impacted. So we saw a lot less unicorn creation, which is something that we all feel is is actually quite reasonable considering how crazy those valuation went and and, and grew. So we're getting to, for me and, and Jamie, I'm sure you agree on this, we're getting to a correction rather than, you know, a, a crisis or or bust, right? So it's about um, slowing down a bit, getting back to a reasonable amount of, you know, due diligence being done on every single company, you know, three, four, five, six weeks, uh, you know, going to an amount of capital that raised that is linked to proper unit economics and some reasonable sort of um, uh, scheduled time frame on deployment of the capital, but also on, you know, how do you make money? How do you create your actual revenue-based uh, company? And, and, you know, so, some of the classic things that we've seen, as you mentioned, Robin, before, back in 2018, 2019, you know, more, uh, less bullish times, more sort of reasonable growth time. Uh, we also see, uh, you know, institutional investors looking a lot into the ESG metrics stuff. That's something that everybody has seen over the last few years. 
but now they actually mandate that quite sometimes, you know, and so until you actually have proven that you have a framework in place that you actually measure those, you know, frameworks, uh, those sort of KPIs, I mean, then you might not receive any investment whatsoever. Um, if I'm not wrong and Robin correct me, I think EIF to some extent even mandated that to their fund as an LP saying, you know, we're not investing in you unless you actually have put in place some sort of uh, mechanism to track not only yours, but also your portfolio uh, funds as well. So it's it's trickling down. It's And it's a good thing to see. It's a requirement that has been long overdue. And, and hopefully this is going to be uh, standardized at one point. We all know there's so many different uh, yeah. options out there. That might be one of the, yeah. the issues today. I absolutely agree with that. And you're right. The EIF actually does mandate that. They're not the only LP that does that. Uh, in Europe, uh, quite mm. a lot of them. Uh, what's interesting to me, at least, is that it's not just driven by the LPs and within the VC community. It's also the new generation of entrepreneurs actually yeah. demanding from their investors that they have sort of an ESG policy or strategy in place, uh, which I think can only be... It's become an entire segment yeah. as well. And one that we've seen growing in our you know clients as well. We see ESG companies specifically targeting not only the framework and the measuring, but also any kind of impact uh, around the, the the planet or or the, the business itself, so we, we're seeing a lot of companies flowing that way, for sure. Fantastic, yeah. Jamie. Anything else uh, from the report that you wanted to mention before we wrap it up? Yeah, those those are the highlights. I think um, look, the the main aim of the game, as I always say, is it, it's uh, it's a market of opportunity, right? It's a time for companies to raise smart. Uh, I think definitely doubling down on the sense that it is it's not doom and gloom. There is always great opportunities for great companies. And maybe this kind of reflection of how we raise and raise more efficiently is like is good is a good time to do these things. Um, and yeah, I think yeah, main takeaway is that we continue to really love helping our clients innovate and close these transactions. And you know, we're ultimately very grateful to the ecosystem for you know, giving this uh, us this data to then you know analyze and report back on it's um, you know, a really privileged position to be in so fantastic well final final question is when's the next iteration or the next edition of this report coming i know you just released <laughs> it so it's a bit of a, <laughs> a bit of a shitty question to ask but i'm still gonna do it no it's a fair one it's a fair one as Great i mentioned question. earlier yeah, I mean, it, the market evolves so quickly. That, so we, we, we'd love to be able to get it out every quarter or so. But to be realistic, you know, we might we might consider a refresh mid-year. We'll see if we, we manage to do that. Uh, <laughs> up to now, it, it is, it's a yearly exercise. And, and of course, you know, you don't want to make an analysis on 10 deals, right? You have to have a, a, a sort of a, a proper sizable sort of um, sample to be able to analyze and to get some proper conclusion over this, So, which is why we... We do it over a year exercise. Having said that, as you mentioned earlier, we also participate every year to the state of European tech actively with our friends at Atomico. And so, you know, we, we should have also a, a large pool of data um, out of this that might not be specifically term oriented, but gives more of that sort of market view in general. So we'll see. And that's probably in, in, in between. Cool. Well, as a data nerd and specifically data on European tech, I can only say thank you uh, for doing all the work and releasing the report publicly for free to anyone. Um, as I said, I'll, I'll link it in the show notes. Uh, so we're going to wrap it up. Uh, people can take a look for themselves. Uh, but thanks again uh, for sharing your insights here and uh, best of luck uh, with all the SVB things going on. Thank you, Robin. Thanks, Robin.